Thank you so much, Kevin, and thanks to you all for your wonderful worship time this morning. We have been in this series on risk. If you've been here throughout the series, you may remember that we started out by looking at what is commonly referred to as Jesus' parable of the talents. This master who went away and entrusted uh, the affairs of his estate to his three servants, and he expected them to take that which he had entrusted to them and risk it for the sake of the kingdom. We learned the lesson there that if we're not willing to risk anything, really, we're risking everything in the worst sense of the word because following Jesus means embracing a lifestyle of risk for the sake of his kingdom. Then we followed that up by looking at Luke chapter 5, the story of uh, Peter and Jesus, where Jesus said to Peter, uh, how about push out a little ways from shore and let me use your boat as a teaching platform as he taught the people. But then Jesus said, now I want you to do something you've never done before. <laughs> I want you to do something that's counterintuitive to everything you've ever thought before as a professional fisherman. I want you to push out into the deep water out here in the middle of the day, and I want you to let down your nets for a catch. And Peter said, Lord, we, we fished all night long. We hadn't caught anything, but because you say so, we'll do it. And he took that risk of doing something he had never done before. And then, if you were here last week, we looked at the story of Noah and the flood, and we talked about the risk that we take when we have to stand alone for God. This morning, we come to one of the most beloved stories, I think, in all of Scripture, we find it in the Old Testament book of Ruth. I want you to take your Bible this morning and follow along with me. We're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture this morning, but we're also going to be looking at what it means to risk everything to follow God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you now for this time. May your Holy Spirit illuminate your Word so that it is no longer just something written in ink on a piece of paper that we hold in our hands, but Lord, that it might become right now in this moment for every single one of us a living word that is able to pierce to the very depths of our being and help us understand, Lord, in a, in a fuller way this morning what it really means to be your people. So Lord, do something here this morning that only you can do. That is our prayer that we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, you know that this is a book that begins with the story of a real tragedy. It tells of a Jewish family from Bethlehem that leaves Bethlehem and goes to live in the land of Moab because there has been a famine. Now, Moab was a godless pagan nation, and no dedicated Jew would ever go there. But circumstances were difficult. There was a famine. So this family went. The husband in the family was a man by the name of Elimelech. He was married to a woman named Naomi. They had two sons, Malon and Kilion. After living in Moab for a while, the father of the family, Elimelech, dies. Now, we don't know why. It seems rather sudden. Some have suggested perhaps it was God's judgment upon him for taking his family out of Judah and into this godless pagan nation of 
Moab. Maybe it was God's judgment on him. Maybe it wasn't. We don't know. Nevertheless, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi a widow. Naomi and her two sons, Malon and Kilion, continue living in Moab. And Malon and Kilion end up marrying Moabite women. One was named Orpah. The other was named Ruth. Now, after 10 years of living in Moab, Malon and Kilion die. Again, we don't know why. Some have suggested maybe it was God's judgment on them too for marrying outside of their faith, marrying Moabite women. Again, we don't know, but they die. Now we have three widows, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Now that's the background to this story. What I want to do is pick up reading with you, and I've got some of these verses in here, and I don't have room for all of them, but you follow along in your copy of God's Word. I I want to pick up in chapter 1, verse 6 of the book of Ruth, and this is what we read. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, in other words, the famine had ended, she and her daughter-in-laws, daughters-in-law, prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. Now, do you see that word rest? I've underlined it there for you in your message guide in verse 9. That that word rest has in it the idea of security. You you see, uh, a widow in that day was most often completely destitute. And in order to survive, in most instances, a widow had to do one of two things. Either she had to find someone to remarry, or she had to go back to her parents' house so that she could have resources and be cared for. Now, this is exactly what Naomi is saying to Orpha and Ruth when she says, you need to go back to Moab where you can find rest. What she's saying is this, girls, there's nothing left for me here in Moab. My family's back in Judah. I'm going back there where I can find my security. You go back to Moab where you can find yours. You can find another husband there. Or you can go back and Live with your families again. You can begin putting your lives back together. Well, they all begin to cry. And we can imagine they've been together for a long time and they they really don't want to separate. So after a while, Ruth and Orpah decide, you know what, we're not going to separate here. If you look at verse 10, they say to Naomi, look, here's what's going to happen. We're we're not going to go back to Moab. We're going to go back with you to your people. In other words, we'll leave Moab and we'll go back with you to Judah. Now, church, this brings me to the first lesson we need to look at this morning. And it has to do with the reality of what happens when you risk everything to follow God. The reality in risking everything for God is this. It is hard It's 
hard. I want you to know up front this morning what we're going to be talking about in this story is hard, and we just need to be honest about that. Ruth and Orpah have said to Naomi, we're going to leave Moab. We're going to go with you to Judah. Well, Naomi is a realist. She's a realist. She knows that life would be very hard for a Moabite woman back in Judah. The Jewish people did not receive foreigners well. They sort of held themselves apart because they were God's people, and they didn't receive foreigners well. There would have been no work for these women there. They would have had no family there. It would have been very, very unlikely that they could have found a husband there for the same reason. Jewish men in Judah would not marry a foreign woman. They would be ostracized. So Naomi says to these girls in in verses 11 through 13, look at this with me. Naomi says to them, no, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and was able to give birth to a son, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And then they went again aloud. Naomi's Naomi's just being very honest. She's saying, girls, I cannot give you what you need here. You need a home. You need a family. I can't provide that, and you can't find that where I'm going because you're Moabite women. I'm telling you, you need to go back to Moab, and you need to find your security there. Look at verses 14 and 15. Orpah thinks about it. And she decides, you know, maybe maybe it would be better for me to go back to Moab where my people are, where Moabite men are. So she decides she's going to do that. She, She decides she's going to head back. So she kisses Naomi goodbye, and she heads back to Moab. But I want you to notice Ruth doesn't do that, does she? Ruth stays, in fact, if we read there, it says Ruth clung to Naomi. She, she held on to her to demonstrate her commitment to her. She said, I'm not going back. Verse 15, Naomi says, look, your, your sister-in-law Orpah is going back. I, I, I need to tell you one more time, go back with her. That's what you need to do. But Ruth says this to her in verse 16, and please don't miss verse 16. Ruth's words to Naomi, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything, if anything but death ever separates you and me. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but I would say that's commitment. That is commitment. And I'm not sure we really 
grasp or appreciate the depth of the commitment or the risk that Ruth was taking when she made it. Because what Ruth was getting ready to do was to turn her back on everything. She said, where you go, I will go. I I will turn my back on my native land. She said, your people will be my people. I'll turn my back on my family. She said, your God will be my God. I I will turn my back on my religious heritage. In fact, I will turn my back on ever getting married again because Ruth knew that would be the reality because no Jewish man of decency would ever marry a foreigner. So Ruth is making a commitment here to pay a high, high price. She is risking everything to go where Naomi is going. But, and here's the point, and here's what you need to see and understand. Ruth is not just making a commitment to go where Naomi is going. She is making a commitment to go where God is going. See, Naomi's primary commitment is to God. Now, it is expressed in her relationship with Naomi. But Ruth is making an incredible religious and spiritual commitment. She is breaking with the people of Moab, and she is identifying herself with the people of God. If you look at verse 17, see what she says there. She says, may the Lord, that's significant, the Lord, not a God, not some God, but the Lord, the God of Israel, may the Lord deal with me. If it be, and be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now, there's a great lesson here, church, and we need to learn it. And the lesson is this. If I'm going to go all the way in following God, I must be willing to turn my back on everything that is not going in the same direction you understand that? If I'm serious about going all the way and following God, I've got to be willing to turn my back on everything that is not going in the same direction. If I'm serious about going where God is, where His agenda is, where His program is, if I'm serious about going where God is going, I must be serious about turning my back on anything that is not going the same way. Now, this is why Orpah could go back to Moab. This is why she could go back to Moab. All right? It's it's because she wasn't willing to turn her back on everything. She loved her mother-in-law to a point. But she didn't love her enough to leave home. She didn't love her enough to leave family. She didn't love her enough to forsake her heritage. She didn't love her enough to give up on marriage because that would have been the choice. She loved Naomi, just not that much. See, church, if I were to ask you this morning, who in this worship center loves Jesus? I would imagine just about every single hand would go up. But you need to understand this morning, the question is not, do you love Jesus? The question is, do you love Him enough to give up everything? Because that's what it means to follow Jesus. 
There's some verses here that I have listed for you. Luke chapter 14, verse 26, anyone who comes to me but refuses to let go of father, mother, spouse, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even one's own self, can't be my disciple. Now, I read those things, and i got to tell you, that's hard to hear. Uh, these are strong words. What do they mean? Well, they mean just what we've seen in the book of Ruth. It means your commitment to Jesus has to have such priority over anyone or anything in your life that if the question ever comes up, when you have to make a choice between Jesus and your family or your profession or your career or your friends or your dreams, hey, even your own life, do you see that? If that choice ever comes up, it means Jesus always wins out. That, that, that's what it means to follow him. Verse 33 of Luke chapter 14, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. How much does Jesus say we have to be willing to give up? Everything, right? Everything. If it's not taking you where God is going, you need to give it up. If it's not making you what God wants you to become, walk away from it. Are you willing to do that? See, most of us here today would say we love Jesus to a point. That's not the issue. The issue is do you love him enough to give up everything? This is hard, but I've said it before, so let me say it. Again, this is not a higher life. This is not a deeper life. This is normal Christianity as defined by Jesus Christ himself and illustrated in the book of Ruth. And if you don't believe this and you don't accept this and you don't practice this, then you, my friend, are an abnormal Christian, if you're a Christian at all. What Ruth did, as great a price as it seems to be to you and to me, is the normal thing to do if you want to follow Jesus. You have to be willing to give up everything. Now, to this point, let's be honest, all right? To this point, this sounds like a bum deal. This is hard. Naomi has lost a husband. She's lost her two sons. Ruth has lost a husband. Now she's lost a sister-in-law. These two women have absolutely nothing. They're getting ready to leave where they've been living for 10 years and go somewhere else and start all over. They're understandably discouraged. They're worried. So this is the reality. And we just need to put it out there up front. This is hard. But let's look at the second lesson. There's not just a reality that we need to accept and face when risking everything to follow God. There is also a resource we have when we're risking everything to follow God. And that resource in risking everything to follow God is God. That resource is God. 
And that is an incredible resource. Look at verses 19 through 21 of Ruth chapter 1. So, these two women went on. They've left Moab. These two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now watch this. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, life is definitely on the downturn for these women, right? Things are about as bad as they could possibly be. Life is not good right now. And so Naomi says, don't call me Naomi. Now, the reason she said that is because in the Hebrew, the name Naomi has in it the idea of sweetness. She says, life ain't sweet. Don't call me Naomi. Instead, call me Mara, which means bitter. So Naomi's struggling here, but I, but I want you to notice something. Even when life is not going well for Naomi, she understands that God is still God. She understands that God is still in control. In fact, she calls God the Almighty. Not once, but you see there, twice. She calls God the Almighty because she knows that God could have done things differently if he had wanted to. She knows her husband could have still been alive if God had so chosen. She believes her sons might have still been alive, could have still been alive if he had so chosen. Why? Because he is the Almighty. Folks, this is a marvelous declaration of the sovereignty of God. Even when life is as bad as it can be for Naomi, she still believes that God is in charge. She still hangs on to the fact that he is the Almighty. She has a high view of God's sovereignty even when things are a mess. Do you? When things are as bad as they can be, do you really still believe that God is the Almighty. You see, when life is on the way up, when life is good, everybody can praise God. That's no problem. But when life takes a deep dive down, listen, the Almighty is still God. Even when life seems to be falling apart, God is still in control because He is the Almighty. I want you to look at some verses I've listed for you here. Ecclesiastes 7, 14, when things are going well for you, be glad. But when trouble comes, just remember, God sends both happiness and trouble. He's in control no matter what happens because he is the Almighty. Lamentations 3, 37, can anything happen without the Lord's permission? And church, in case you don't know, the answer is no. There is nothing that can come into your life or my life that God does not either ordain, specifically cause, or allow as part of his great plan because he is the Almighty. 
Psalm 31, 14 through 15, I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Do you believe that? I want to tell you something this morning, and this is serious. If you don't believe that, then you'll never risk anything for God. If you don't believe this, that He is the Almighty, that He is still in control no matter what, then you'll never turn your back on anything. If you haven't settled the issue that He is the Almighty, but because He is the Almighty, something in this story is about to change. Something in this story is about to happen. God is about to show Naomi and Ruth what the Almighty can do. So look with me at this third lesson. We're going to look at the reward of risking everything to follow God. And I want to tell you right up front, the reward is more than you or I can possibly imagine. When you're willing to risk everything to go where God is going, when you're willing to risk everything and turn your back on everything that's not going in that same direction, there is a reward for those who do that. And it is more incredible than any of us can possibly imagine. See, in chapter 1, things couldn't have gotten much worse. But chapter 1 is not the end of the story. And it doesn't matter, my friend, this morning what your situation in life may be. If you're still here, the last chapter has not yet been written. And if, if you will make the kind of commitment that Ruth made, if you will make the commitment to go where God is going, if you're willing to risk everything to follow Him, if you're willing to turn your back on Anything that is not going in the same direction, I promise you this morning, on the authority of this Word, the Word of God, He will provide. The issue is, are you following the Almighty? So Naomi and Ruth have returned to Bethlehem from Moab. Both of them are widows. They're both destitute, but they're both following God. Let's see what happens. All right, I want to read to you from chapter 2. Verses 1 through 10, I didn't have room to put this in your message guide, too much stuff, so follow along in your copy of God's Word, and I'm going to read these first 10 verses. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a wealthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, go my daughter. So she set out and she went. And she gleaned in the field of the reapers. Now, now if you don't know what, what gleaning is, when the, when the reapers went through a field, um, they would leave behind some of the stalks of grain. And, and those who were poor and destitute were free to then come in behind them and harvest what they left behind. So Naomi and Ruth are destitute. This was the only way they knew how to find food for themselves. So this is what, this is what Naomi is doing. And behold... She, she found herself in the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And, and Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. 
Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Pointing to, to Ruth. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz went to Ruth and said to her, Now listen, my daughter, do not go glean in any other field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. I've charged the young men not to touch you. And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? Since I am a foreigner. Now, I hope you see what's happening here, church. Naomi had a relative she, she'd apparently forgotten about. She's been gone for a long time, for 10 years, and she didn't know anything about this guy, Boaz, but that's okay. Because of the Almighty is at work. The Almighty is, is, is weaving this story. And part of the amazing thing about this story is that Boaz already knew all about Ruth, even though Ruth had never even heard of Boaz. Look at, look at verse 11 here. It's in your message guide. Boaz replied, I've been told all about you. I know all about you, girl. I know what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I know how you've left your father and mother in your homeland and how you've come to live with a people you did not. No, I know all about you. Do you know why Boaz knew all about Ruth? Because the Almighty, the Almighty is working. I want you to look at what Boaz said to her in verse 12 because this is amazing. May the Lord repay you talking to, to Ruth. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, watch this, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is incredible. Ruth believed that she would be better off under God's wings in a land she did not know than she would have been under her own wings in Moab. Do you see that? That's what Boaz is saying. You, you have come here to take refuge under God's wings. You believe this was the better choice. God's wings, not your own wings. Ruth made her decision to go where God was going with no guarantees and with no promises. None. But that's okay. Because God knew where Boaz was. Let me, let me tell you something this morning. The question, church, for whatever situation you may be dealing with, the question, when you're going through difficulties and following hard after God when you've risked everything and it's not turned out well, the question is, 
Does God know where Boaz is? You worried about a job this morning? Does God know where Boaz is? Are you worried about where the money's coming from? Does God know where Boaz is? Are you, are you struggling asking if I'm ever going to be able to get past this problem? Well, does God know where Boaz is? If you think your dream might never become a reality, does God know where Boaz is? That's the question. And you've got to come to terms with this issue, my friend. Will you be better off under God's wings even when you cannot see how it's going to all work out? Or will you be better off under your own wings when you think you've got all the answers? Orpah chose her own wings, remember? We never hear from her again. Ruth chose God's wings. And as the rest of this story is going to show us, God is going to do some amazing things. Now, we don't have time to go through all the rest of this book in detail, so let me hit some highlights quickly. First of all, when Ruth tells Naomi about Boaz, I want you to look at what Naomi says here in verse 20. She says, The Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. And she added, That man, talking about Boaz, that man is a close relative. He's one of our kinsman redeemers. Now, I want you to hold on a minute because it's fixing to get real good. Real good. In that day, the kinsman redeemer was a close relative who was able to do a couple of very significant things. Number one, he had the right to buy any family property that was put up for sale. That's the first thing. Second thing, if that property that had been put up for sale just happened to be put up for sale because a family member had died, then the kinsman redeemer also had the obligation to marry the widow of the deceased if she was childless in order to raise up children in her dead husband's name so that the family name could continue. Now, Naomi had a piece of property for sale. You can read about that over in chapter 4, verse 3. She had a piece of property for sale. It had belonged to her husband, Elimelech, but Elimelech had died, which meant that property had been transferred to Elimelech's son who had married Ruth. But that son had also died, leaving Ruth a childless widow. Do you see how God is working here? I mean, would you have thought of all that? No. I wouldn't have thought of all of that. But church, that's nothing to the Almighty. That's nothing to the Almighty. Listen, my friend, when God is in charge of your life, He can override the statistics. He can beat the odds. He can manipulate the circumstances. When you're really willing to risk it all for Him, let me tell you, God calls the shots. He provides. Now, we don't have time now, again, but, but I, I want to encourage you, Sometime today, before it leaves your mind, go read chapters 3 and 4 and see how God weaves this tapestry together because it's amazing and awesome. And I wish we had time to look at it now, but verses 9 and 10 of, of Ruth chapter 4 really 
sum it up. Let, let me read these verses. They're in your message guide. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today your witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. I've also acquired Ruth, the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the records. You see what's happened? Ruth said, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what the risk. God, I'm going to follow you no matter where it takes me. Even if it means never marrying again, God, I'm going to, to risk everything. I'm going to give up everything to follow you. And God said, Ruth, because you've been willing to take that kind of risk for me. Because you've made the kind of commitment that you've made with no guarantees, with no promises, I'm going to do what everybody else says can't be done. I know where Boaz is. And I'm going to give you a husband. But church, that is not the end of the story. If you'll remember, before Ruth came with Naomi to Bethlehem, she'd been living in Moab and she'd been married for 10 years. And in all that time, she'd never been able to have children. She was barren. She couldn't get pregnant. Well, she can now. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her empowered her. This wasn't chance. This wasn't fate. This just wasn't a one-off thing. The Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. God said, Ruth, because you've been willing to make this kind of risk, I'm not only going to give you the husband that you said you couldn't have, I'm going to give you the child that everyone else said you couldn't have, because I know where Boaz is. I hope you see what's happening here. Because Ruth went where God was. He not only gave her the husband, he gave her the child. And I want to tell you this morning, the Almighty can provide and he will provide when you're willing to risk everything to follow him. But even that's not the end of the story. Look at verse 17. So they named the child, this is the child of Boaz and Ruth, they named the child Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. <laughs> Ruth not only got a husband, she not only got a child, but that child became the grandfather of the greatest king the nation of Israel has ever known, King David. So this baby wasn't just any baby. This baby was the forerunner of royalty, the almighty provides. But wait, there's more. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1, you'll find there in this long list of names, in this genealogy, these words. Look at them. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was who? Ruth. And if you read through the rest of this genealogy, one name after another, you'll finally come down to verse 16, where it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, Mary's the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Church, 
God took a person who was a nobody from Moab, a foreigner. But because she was willing to go all the way with God, he put her in the godly line. He inserted her into the lineage of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And that's what God will do for the man or the woman who's totally sold out to him, who's not afraid to risk everything. Please, don't let anybody tell you that going where God is is too hard. Don't let anybody tell you that the risk is too great. If you will make that kind of commitment, then the Word of God says He will not just provide. He will do more than you can possibly imagine. You say, oh, preacher, that's just Old Testament stuff. No, 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 no. Ephesians 3.20. Now unto Him who is able to do more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My friend, go all the way with God. Don't let anything stop you. Don't let anything hold you back. Don't let anything get in your way. If you go all the way with God, I promise you, I promise you, He will go all the way with you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. Come now to a time of commitment and reflection. We come to a time of introspection and personal spiritual inventory. Oh God, our lives so often seem so shallow compared to what we see in this story. And we miss out on so much because we're not willing to turn our backs on everything. Father, may your spirit impress upon us this morning this truth and may we make decisions now that would bring honor and glory to Christ as our prayer in Jesus' name. Would you join me in standing? These altars are open. Maybe you need to come and just say, God, today I give you everything. I believe you know where Boaz is. I don't just love you, but I, I, I love you to the point that I really am. I'm willing to give up everything. God will never be able to do anything great in your life until you get to that point. Never be able to do anything great in this church until we get to that point. So if you need to come this morning, this altar is open. If I can pray with you, I'll be honored to do that. As we sing together, living for Jesus, you come.